Welcome to Live Healthy Now with Nicola Mercer, a weekly show helping you get clear on the power of building sustainable, healthy habits to live the happy, strong life you are craving. It's time to stop waiting for happiness and burning yourself out trying to reach it. Each week we'll share insights into the world of health and well-being to help you learn which habits are the right ones for you without the overwhelm and confusion you feel right now. It's time to strip back and lay out the truth about why taking better care of yourself is the answer to the happy life you're striving so hard to create. Welcome to today's episode of Live Healthy Now. This is the second episode in February of a very special mini-series that I'm bringing to you to help you to see how real people who've experienced real challenges and hurdles in their life can overcome those things and improve the way that they feel and their happiness by taking care of themselves. This was something I really wanted to bring as part of the podcast because although there are so many amazing experts that I'm, I have interviewed and I'm going to interview who can share so much of their knowledge and experience to help you live a healthy life now, there are also so many very real and normal people out there who just like you have struggled with different things in their life, things that have made them maybe hit rock bottom or get to a very difficult place that has meant them they've felt like life is a very big struggle and maybe they've got to a point where they just feel pretty stuck and are not sure how to change anything to make their life feel any better. So I know that today's guest and her story is going to be one that will inspire you. I absolutely guarantee that. We have an incredible conversation coming up today and it's one that I really want you to think about for yourself, not just in terms of whether this particular experience and story we're going to share is something that you can resonate with in your life, but it's the fundamental story underneath that about how you can really lose yourself and really doubt what's next for you in your life but by just taking very small steps very slowly and one step at a time you truly can build back your feelings of self-belief and self-worth so that you can start to feel better get back in control like yourself ultimately that's what it's about is really valuing and liking and appreciating yourself so that you can start to create a life where you thrive again. So I really hope you do enjoy today's episode. So today I have with me an incredible guest called Kat O'Brien and she's just the most loveliest guest who I met in something we were both part of about 16 months ago and her story literally blew me away and definitely had not just me but most of the other people who were listening to our story in tears. She's part of an incredible group of women that I'm part of that we both get so much from and yeah, she really brings such a, a ray of energy and inspiration into that group. So I wanted to bring Kat onto the podcast as soon as I knew I was launching the podcast because I think the story that she can share with you is one that 
will resonate with a lot of people and can definitely give you some support and encouragement and advice on how to take care of yourself in any kind of situation. But today we will be talking about death, bereavement and grief. So if any of these are a trigger for you, then please just consider how you might feel in this episode and whether you want to skip it. So Kat, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Nicola. It's my pleasure. You're very welcome. So what I like to do with each of our guests is just kick off by finding out what your most impactful healthy habit is. Ah, my most impactful healthy habit is definitely mindfulness, um, particularly because I have some physical health issues that mean that I can um, not run a marathon, let's say. Um, but I find that mindfulness, particularly morning mindfulness for me, gives me some space to really ground myself for the day. Um, it then means that I can control things like um, anxiety and worrisome worry thoughts that might take over in the day. So mindfulness for me is is um, a way of focusing and grounding myself. Yeah. And so what do you do as part of your morning routine to help with that? When I wake in the morning, I, <laughs> this is going to sound very indulgent, but I bought myself a little coffee machine to go beside my bed um, just to, to really kind of make sure that I stuck to my routine. Um, I found if I got off to, to downstairs, I would get distracted by other things and not come back to it. So in the morning when I wake uh, and get the cat off me, I put my little coffee machine on and I play a 10 minute meditation on either one of the meditation apps or on YouTube. Um, I then take 10 minutes to follow that guided meditation and then I have 10 minutes of no noise, no interruptions where I just either let my thoughts run riot or try to bring myself into my body, which is where I focus on how my body feels that morning and reframing anything that might feel negative. Quite often I find if I get out of bed and I go, oh, this hurts, that hurts, you know, I have a pain here, I have a pain there, that it sets me up for a day where I'm constantly drudging around. Whereas if I feel myself into my body and I think, my body is useful, you know, my body is a good body, I love my body, then I'm I'm set up to have a more productive day regardless of what the challenges are. Yeah, oh, that's amazing. And you're so right, aren't you, that the way you think on a morning about how you feel completely sets you up for how the rest of your day is going to go. So it's really important to focus on how you feel first thing in the morning. So that mindfulness practice is amazing. And I know there's so many like CEOs and, you know, people who are very successful talk about their morning routine being such an important part of their success and how they're able to perform the way that they do. So you're definitely on the right path there with that. So, um, yeah, I think it would be great to start by just telling people like what your purpose is right now, what it is that you're doing and, and working on. Thank you. My purpose at the moment is to help people through grief. And it certainly wasn't a purpose that I would have imagined myself having uh, any more than about two years ago. But in November 2020, the absolute love of my life, John, had a stroke very suddenly and died over the space of, we'll say, 20 hours from his first symptom to the point where I I was told that he was gone. He was only 46. 
he was what I would have considered healthy. He jogged two miles a day. He had been um, a, a very active person with his job. He was on the go all day. Um, he had had a, a significant career in the Navy and in the police. So he had always been a very active person. And he was an incredibly kind person. So if it's possible to have a healthy outlook and a healthy heart, um, you know, and a healthy mindset, he certainly had that because he was the most ridiculously positive person I think I'd ever met. You know, if you could if you could embody somebody with uh, with positivity and sunshine, that that was certainly John. Um, but over the course of a morning, he got very dizzy and uh, worryingly dizzy to the point where he thought I'll go back to bed now he had had inner ear problems a lot so I thought oh maybe this is you know a touch of vertigo or whatever so I didn't mind too much as the morning went on and he kind of didn't come back he he stayed asleep Um, into the afternoon though that dizziness turned into a little nausea as well and he gradually got a little worse we ended up calling an ambulance and because we were in covid Right in the the beginning of the second lockdown, he was taken to hospital on his own. Um, We had one phone call that night and then the following morning at half past seven, I got a telephone call from one of the consultants in the stroke unit to say that he had died, which was completely unexpected. I did not see him off in the ambulance thinking that was going to be the last time I saw him. Um, I told him I loved him. I gave him a kiss and we said we would talk. Um, Coming back from the the visit to the hospital so obviously I had to go into the hospital they let me stay with him for well as long as they would let me before they they insisted I go so about four and a half hours I sat with him and when I left the hospital with a bag with a pair of slippers and some underpants that I had sent him in with that all of a sudden had no person it was just the most earth shattering thing I think I have ever encountered I didn't, you couldn't possibly imagine the the type of grief that follows with a significant loss like that unless you've actually experienced it. Because as we go through life, we have um, sometimes what are in order losses, such as we might lose our grandparents or we might lose an elderly aunt or uncle. And while we have a sadness for that, depending on the relationship, it's, it's a loss that's almost supposed to happen if you know what I mean we get older we will all get older inevitably and we will all die so it's it's reasonable to expect that we will have some of those losses this loss I mean John and I had only been together just over four years we were each other's second time around we had both been divorced previously um we had so many plans for the future, so many things we were going to do, so many little pots of, of you know, savings going to do this, that and the other. And all of a sudden, none of this had any purpose. You know, so I came home to my house and I closed the front door and instantly the house was different. My life was different. My purpose was different. Um, and while I was working in a full time job and, and still am, um Everything, everything changed in in the space of those couple of hours. Um, I didn't just lose the memories that we'd had and and the person that I'd had, but I lost all of that future as well. I spent a significant amount of time really wondering and trying to establish how, how I could choose a way forward. It seemed at the time the loss was so great that my choices were life or death. You know, I either either in a metaphorical way follow John and and just 
lose my interest in life or I get back to goal setting, focusing every day on facing forward, even if just for a small period of time. Now, it took a long time of working with coaches that you and I both know very well, uh, Don and Cheryl at, at Now Is Your Time, on a, a different kind of, of goal setting and, and working on the things that you tell yourself for me to realize that grief is a trauma response. And that like any other trauma that we process, there are treatments and things that you can do to help yourself through that grief. None of them take away from the loss. None of them belittle the grief any. But I really struggled to begin with, with the idea of dishonouring his memory by even to begin with doing the smallest thing like enjoying a meal. <laughs> Which might seem crazy, but when you lose the person you've shared all your meals with for the last four years... Um, just enjoying your food seems like you're dishonouring their memory. And so that brought me then to this idea of grief coaching, not counselling, because I didn't find any solace in counselling. Counselling personally for me was a constant look back at what had happened, going through the memories. And I just thought my, my head isn't working that way. I know what I've been through and I don't want to keep revisiting that. I don't want to keep processing it. So for me, the idea of goal setting, even though the program I was in, you know, wasn't about grief, really helped with the way that I, I processed and am processing my grief right now. Um, it was John's second anniversary on the 10th of November. And I thought that's 24 months of me living less of a life through, through choice and otherwise. But ultimately, this huge burden of sadness, meaning that at the beginning, there were some very physical symptoms, which were really surprising, and then into this kind of constant trauma response. So I did a lot of uh, self-education. I've done some courses um, on understanding that as a trauma response, grief essentially um, evokes the same response as what happens when we have a stressful event or a traumatic event of any other kind in that our bodies flood with cortisol and adrenaline and all those stressy hormones that our brains give us to try and keep us alive, which, which is quite an interesting response, isn't it? Because actually a lot of what we do is we focus on this person's death and we imagine our own death, but our brains are going, stay alive, stay alive, stress, 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 you know, and with the, with the coaching that I've started to do, we focus on stimulating the parasympathetic nervous system. So that's the opposite side of the fight, flight, freeze response. And it's the rest and digest side of things. It's our opportunity to break down and process all of those spiky hormones by doing things that allow our body to have a break. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Thanks so much for sharing the story. And it still brings tears to me and yeah. goosebumps everywhere because the story is one that could happen to anybody. And, and that's, mm -hmm. that is what you're telling us here is it was a normal day. No reason to think there was anything wrong. We were obviously all in the midst still of COVID and so much uncertainty around that. And 
you know, just the fact that he went to hospital on his own and, and to have that phone call, like you say, the, the finality of it and and how you explain it. I mean, you can hear the strength in your voice. And I know that was what shone through when I very first heard your story for everyone in that group was you were you were in a really bad place. It was obviously quite recent from from when John had passed, but the strength that you had and the determination, and that's what I really want people to pick up on and and find hope in today because what you're now doing, as you said, this isn't a purpose you would have chosen. And that's like a lot of people who, you know, have something, whatever that might be, it doesn't have to be as traumatic as what you've experienced, but something that has happened to you that then pushes you onto a different path but then that path becomes one that through intention and choice feels right for you and and that you Mm -hmm. can create to to live a life that becomes meaningful and filled with passion and I know you're still working through that and and I love the way I've heard you talk before about grief you touched on it a little bit there is you know to share more on that about how you know when someone loses someone, you hear people say, oh, it just takes a while to get over it. You know, just let your grief pass. But that's not how it mm-hmm. works and, and that's not how we should be approaching no, it, it, really is isn't. it? Mm-hmm. That's right. Mm. So grief, when you're when you're grieving someone, the, the loss will always remain. It's It's the one thing really in our life that we can't fix. You can't bring them back. Uh, you can't change the circumstances of how your life is without them in it. So grief is... A, a snapshot really that you will carry with you throughout the rest of your life. It doesn't, there are lots of models that you will see from uh, neurologists and psychologists and all of the theologists and professionals who have models of how you'll work through grief and how it will be processed. And Elizabeth Kubler Ross's five stages, which are, um, yes, valid in some cases, but ultimately we're designed for a different thing. So when people try to apply models of, You'll go through anger and then denial and then you'll get cross and then you'll feel better and so on and so forth. It isn't that way Um, for the majority of people. It will very much be that you will um, feel your loss in, in all of what that means for the things that then will be absent from your life. And then you will find a way every morning to wake up and carry on without them. And some mornings that will be waking up in tears and some mornings that will be waking up and feeling their love in a different way because grief is finding a way to have a relationship with somebody when they're not physically there to share that relationship with you. It's a really tricky thing to understand in that sense because there is a lot of anger around, but they're not here. They left me. They went away. Um, Moving from that into appreciating that you will always be as loved by them as you were on the last day that you knew them, which is what I really keep with me from John, um, because that love was so enormous. It'll last me forever. You know, we I was lucky we had that kind of love. So grief is taking that love and finding a way to wake up every day and build that into what you need to do that day. You know, and for for people, it is returning to work. It is returning to your relationships with, with your friends, with the people that you know, who may or may not have known the person you lost. And again, you know, finding little ways to honour them in your own way. 
So what I do with the grief coaching, what I do with trying to help other people is how I honor John's memory because he was mm-hmm. a helper um, of the of the highest order. When, when the um, Manchester Arena attack happened, he was one of the first in because he was working with the, the transport police at the time. So he just, you know, his in his head, he was put on this earth to serve people just to just to help. If we were driving along the motorway and somebody needed help, we were the ones who stopped. You know, if if somebody fell over, John was the one picking them up. He was just that kind of person. So this is why for me, my way to honour him is to pick up other people who have stumbled with their grief and, and help them and just help them see that really with a little resilience and with a lot of support, <laughs> you can definitely find a way forward. Yeah, And resilience there, actually, Nicola, is such a key because everything you do in the health field around keeping a healthy mind and a healthy body builds up that resilience to deal with something traumatic when it happens in a physical way. Um, we can build up that resilience in an emotional way by just beginning to talk about grief and death. And it's hard because it's not a topic people want to talk about. We as a society, and in fact, David Kessler, who's an American um, grief coach and and grief uh, therapist, he says that as a society, we're grief illiterate, which I think is a um, it's a really good way of putting it because it means we're uneducated about it. It's not something we talk about. You know, if we can start to talk about death and dying in a way that means that when somebody we love dies, we know what they would have wanted. We know how to honour them. We know how best to serve them and how to stay together as a family or as a group of people without them. Then we will be so much more resilient. Yeah, oh, I couldn't agree more. And the way you describe grief, first of all, is just beautiful. I think, you know, it was something when I first heard just completely made sense, having been through grief myself and and you know, trying to navigate how to deal with it. But what you said there about just awareness, acceptance, normalising it, because as a society, especially Western culture, is one that hides away from death, don't we? You know, in other Mm -hmm. cultures, it's very much a part of life and it's celebrated. And something I've always thought about is how just formal the whole thing is when somebody dies and how sombre and and I know it's very traditional especially here in the UK if you think Mm -hmm. back to the 1800s and 19th century you know how funeral processions were and so on you know we've evolved slightly from that but it's still so so sombre and when I lost my mum three years ago I didn't want that I was very vocal because Mm. this is something that I've actually spoke and thought about for many years because I've struggled with anxiety because of a fear of death. I've I've had health anxiety for 27 years and it was always around death. And so for many years I've thought about death and what it means and, and just the whole way that a funeral is, that the conversation is when someone's died, just frightened the life out of me and it didn't feel mm. like helpful in any way for anyone. And so when my mum died, we went around celebrating her life in exactly that way we did something very different to what a lot of or most people in this country anyway do for funerals and it felt good we celebrated it mm-hmm. you know, we had flowers on every table and um, we had 
music we had prosecco at the end to celebrate that you know we Amazing. all told stories and it was just and and uh, you're right there has to be more normalization of it because of the fact that it is such such a huge part of everyone's lives mm-hmm. we're all gonna die but we're all very very likely to experience the loss of a loved one as well so yeah your whole purpose and outlook is just incredible and I like what you're touching about you know, the resilience piece and taking care of yourself. And that leads on to a question I had about, you know, when you lost John, what like place were you in, you know, from obviously when something like that happens, you're not thinking, oh, okay, but I still have to take care of myself to get through this. Like, where was your head at? How did it mm. fail? You know, what, what were your thoughts about what you could do to keep surviving? Yeah, it took a long time, Nicola, I'll be honest. You know, it it was... I, it was at least a year before I had any notion of caring for myself. Right. Um, any any kind of care that I had the strength to muster up at the time went to my son. So I have a 13-year-old son from a previous relationship. He was 11 at the time. And he had just been diagnosed with ADHD and was put on the autism pathway literally the week before John died. Right. So all of my days after John's death were getting up to you know, administer Sam some new medication to get him through homeschooling because he wasn't in school at the time. Um, And to be honest, I was quite glad of that focus. If there's any tale I can tell around, you know, health and your health after a significant loss is actually not to do what I did, which was to hide away so significantly that my physical health suffered quite dramatically. So I threw myself into working from home, which meant that I spent long hours every day sitting in front of my laptop Um, and really not engaging with the outside world at all. Now, you and I both know that there is nothing better for your mental health than the outside, even if it's just outside your front door, but specifically nature or being able to, you know, get away from from where your thoughts are. And, And really with me, get away from the place where John started dying ultimately, because the first few hours of his illness were in our bed. You know, but that's the place I kept going back to because that's where I could just cry and grieve, especially when when my son went off to his dad. So if I can give any advice, it's in those early days, those very early days where you can't see past, you know, just having your next cup of tea. If you can get yourself out, get some fresh air, um, it is crucial and critical not only to you know being able to process your grief but also to being able to get a good night's sleep um or to get any sleep you know getting some air around your body allowing your head that kind of break and and that access to a little bit of of nature and something that is is beautiful and and so far out of your control will help you you know get some sleep and sleep is really really important to to grief and to being able to hold it together. I think without sleep, like any trauma, we get more anxious, we get more um, uh, frustrated, we're less likely to be able to process our emotions, less likely to be able to function safely, you know. Um, So if you can air, you know, or or nature, some kind of access to air and nature and sleep in those very early days, if there are only two things, do those things. And everything else really will follow. Um, I certainly wouldn't be able to advocate doing anything, you know, like um, 
some people will say, you know, go do a class, do an exercise class or, you know, get out with people. And for me, in my loss, that would have been probably the furthest thing from my mind. Probably still is maybe two years on. I'll get there eventually, <laughs> you know, but it's the it's the very small things to begin with. And really be kind to yourself. Yeah. You know, don't hold it against yourself or feel like you are worse than you should be. Yeah. And in that kindness that's something that many of us, especially women, struggle with in every day, mm. isn't it? You know, we, we, we've generally been raised in a way that means we don't show compassion and understanding and kindness and love to ourselves, which can manifest itself in so many problems as adults. And obviously, that's a big part of what you've had to work on. And, you know, even with the advice of just getting outside for a walk or, you know, doing things to make sure you can sleep so that you can start that recovery process from, you know, a health point of view is really all about the mental side, isn't it? It's what we touched mm-hmm. on at the beginning with your morning mindfulness practice in that, you know, the power of your mind is the strongest thing, you know, to you, you can't move your body without your mind being the thing that controls you being able to mm-hmm. move your body. So, you know, how can you start at the beginning with that that kindness and that that, you know, um mindset shift to begin to to start those really small steps towards mm. picking your your wellness and and your strength back up? I think it's to start listening to what you're telling yourself. And when you hear the things you're saying to yourself, particularly the things that are critical, Think, question how many of those are coming from you and how many are coming from your idea of what society expects of you in your grief. There was a point where I realised that I was avoiding contact outside because um, of some of the stuff that had happened with John's family afterwards, you know, his um, belongings and things, you know, his family had kind of come and taken them and... um, I just thought it constantly kept coming back into my head. What would people think? And I wouldn't mind, but I'm not even close to the people around where I live, you know, but we're kind of preconditioned always to think, you know, what do people think of me? What what are people, you know, I'm young. I'm not even, and actually it kept coming back. I'm not even a widow. We weren't married. You know, um, people will think I'm grieving too hard for somebody I wasn't married to. People will think, you know, if I go out, they'll wonder why I'm out already. You know, he's only just died. And, and a lot of what I was telling myself was around really daft notions of what other people would think. And the whole point of all of that is what other people think doesn't matter. Not in any of our attitudes towards our health and well-being, because other people don't have to live our life. Other people can be empathetic towards us, but they cannot be in our head. They cannot be us with all of our experience and what we bring to the point in time at which we experience a trauma. So only we can process and deal with our trauma in our unique way. And the way that we do that is nobody else's business. So if my grief means that I hide inside my house for a year, then that's fine as long as I am not um, losing myself as a result. If my grief means that I go and shave my head and live on the beach and, you know, drink seven beers a day, then again, that's my business, how I deal with my grief. As long as I'm not hurting anybody 
or hurting myself in the process. So examine the thoughts really that are that are coming back to your mind all of the time. Um, it's something like 90% of our thoughts are repetitive thoughts, the thoughts that come back to us time and time again and over and over. And some of those we bring all the way from criticisms we've had in our childhood. You know, what will people think of you? Um, that one constantly comes back to me. What will people think? What will people think? I'm at the point where I really... I'm letting all of that go. You know, my grief is my grief. My life is my life. Um, my choices are my choices. And you're welcome to your opinion, but I don't have to live by it. Yeah. Oh, that's such brilliant advice. And you're right. You know, I mean, we know that voice that you have is the most powerful voice in your life. You know, I've talked about this recently with, with them, a group saying how, you know, if you think back to an experience, a time when you were given a harmful, hurtful comment by maybe a family member mm. or friend, the impact that had on you. But then when you know that your voice is the most powerful, think how damaging that voice is, you know, when you are beating yourself up with all of those thoughts. And a lot of the time that judgment you think others are going to have on you is just you, isn't it? It's all of those those limiting beliefs we've got because of, of you know, our story from how we've been mm-hmm. programmed when we were younger. Um, so, yeah, that that's just such an incredible thing to share and, and to get people to think about because you're right, you know, worrying about how other people are responding or thinking about you and your grief is not what you need at that point. You just need, as you exactly. said, to be in your head, to be your person, to do it your way that is enough, that's more than enough to deal with without adding on all of that external worry about other people. Um, So I know from your story that a really big part of you building back your strength and wellness and your happiness has been in finding community. So as much as what you closed yourself off physically, if you like, in terms of being in the house and staying at home as much as you could, being part of a community has been a huge value to you and, mm. and where you are now, hasn't it? It really has. It really has. Much as I haven't had um, much physical contact with people, my virtual contact with people has been incredible. Um, through the coaching programs we've done, through uh, a grief community I set up for the rail industry because I work in rail, uh, and now through a, a Facebook community called Love, Loss and Life that I have um, established. It's just bringing people together, uh, educating those who aren't actively grieving at the moment on how to be a good grief ally you know, how to make space for somebody who's grieving and how to make space for thoughts of grief and death in your life so that when the time comes that you have to deal with it, you'll have that resilience. It won't be a new thought. You'll already have formed some positive beliefs and some positive thought patterns around it um, that will help you through. Oh, yeah, it's just amazing. And yeah, I'd love you to, to let people know where they can connect with you on this because that mission you've got, it's not just helping people who are grieving and need that support, but people who don't understand much about it, because I'm sure we've all been there in a situation where, you know, somebody comes back to work who's lost a parent or, you know, a sibling, um, whatever it might be. And you really struggle. You're like, do I say anything? Do I not? Are they going to mm. break down if I, you know, ask them how they are and give them my condolences and 
like we said just earlier, we're stuck in this way of not knowing how to talk and handle death and conversation around it because of how our society and culture is. So the more, as you say, people build that awareness to help others, but also to help themselves and have that resilience. Is, I just love it. Yeah, I think you're going to help so many people. And I know Kat's been an absolute star in the real business that she works in and has been really recognised for someone who's contributed massively to her team's you know, well-being and, and understanding and knowledge around this subject. So I'm sure there's going to be lots more to come. So just before we let everyone know where they can connect with you, I just you know, would like to ask are the kind of three little things you could maybe think of that would help people, whether it's just someone wanting to become more um, aware and, and have more empathy around this subject or who might be in a situation where they are still really struggling with grief? For anyone who's actively grieving, particularly a significant loss, my, my biggest piece of advice would be find a network, find a group of people who will understand where you can tell your story. Because whatever our trauma is, for me, the biggest key to releasing that trauma is finding an outlet to tell your story and having the opportunity to tell it and talk about it and say it over and over again. Because the more you say it, the more your brain will understand what's happened to you. And the more you will find that every time in the telling, you'll either remember something lovely about your person or you will realise that there has been a little bit of growth. Um, For me, the whole concept of of post-traumatic growth was so unique. I hadn't ever heard the term before until I met Caroline Strawson at an event. And I told Caroline what I had been doing after John's loss. And she said, well, you're a perfect example of post-traumatic growth. And I thought, yeah, I didn't realise, but actually... It makes total sense that if you shake up your world to the point that everything is is messy, you now have a kind of a fertile soil, an opportunity to change something so completely and grow something new. And, and part of that can just come from telling your story, telling your story, saying what's happened. For anyone who wants to be an ally, um, practice really listening. A lot of the time when we have a conversation with somebody, our head is always a step ahead, already there with an answer or a change of topic or something in the way of a tangent or, gosh, I need to get away, you know, the kids are coming in or whatever. Just take some time to practice active listening and restraining yourself from immediately answering the person's thoughts or or statement that they've just said. So allow somebody to speak to you about something that might be difficult and sit with the feeling that it gives you, whether that's discomfort or a desire to help or whatever that is. And really just kind of for a minute process that feeling. Um, we jump in so quickly with trying to fix. It's it's just naturally what we do as human beings. We see somebody upset and we instantly want to make them stop crying <laughs> because we want to make them feel better. You can't make a grieving person feel better because they're in grief, you know, but what you can do is make them feel heard. And that is of such enormous value. So the next time somebody has that difficult conversation with you, just listen. Don't give any solutions. Don't say you're so strong. 
don't jump in with you should do x y and z because none of that is helpful just listen and when they're finished and you've processed say gosh that makes me feel so sad with you you know and that's enough to say that's enough to hold that space and acknowledge what somebody's feeling without having to fix oh god yeah that's so powerful and you're right that's what we do I know I've always been a fixer and coming into the coaching space that's been a real challenge for me to learn because I just want to jump in and and try to help people but as you say it's so much more impactful and beneficial in the grand scheme of things when you do just give that space to listen and you acknowledge rather than jump in with words just for words sake or with something that you think is the fix mm-hmm. yeah the last thing because I know mm-hmm. you asked for three so for anyone in any position <laughs> my top piece of advice is prioritize your sleep your overall health mental physical emotional cognitive health will be so much better if you can establish a good pattern of quality sleep yeah absolutely sleep is like the underdog isn't it, it it's not rated people don't appreciate it people think it's a badge of honor to wear if you don't need very much sleep but you know sleep's not like a bank account you can't stock it up and then tap into it you Mm -hmm. know when you need to spend it because you've you haven't less if you've lost it you've lost it and and the power of sleep yeah it's unbelievable and as you say that's something that can help someone in any difficult situation if they are strong because, you know, they're getting good sleep, but also mm-hmm. is, is key to build into you, you know, recuperating and, and um, building yourself back. So I love that. Thank you. So, yeah, I'd love you to share more about love, loss and life, because I know there's some very exciting, you know, things happening for you <laughs> with that. So, yeah, where can people connect with you and and find out more? Thank you. So at the moment, it's through Facebook. If you search the page Love, Loss and Life, um, and we're building our community there from hopefully the 10th of December, I'll be launching the Talking Love, Loss and Life podcast, um, where we will be telling our grief stories along with our love stories, because the two are are very often, excuse me, interlinked. Um, From there into the new year, I will have some opportunities if people want to work with me directly through their grief. Um, by finding ways with me to tell their story, uh, then we will be able to do that one-on-one. And then also, as we go into kind of mid-2023, where we'll be running some grief retreats, where we will take people away in a group, in a community with other like-minded people who have had similar experience, similar loss, and we will break bread together. We will, you know, share tears and share laughter. We will do some breath work. We will do some uh, meditation and a very good colleague of mine, a holistic therapist will come along um, to do some kind of deep body work um, and hopefully we'll all get some really good sleep. (laughs) Oh, that sounds amazing. (laughs) Just sounds like it's going to be so, you know, invigorating and re-energising for anyone. But yeah, the focus Mm -hmm. on that sounds like something I've never heard before. And I think that's that's what you've got. Kat, overall, you're such a unique individual who has this incredible passion and energy. And I think whoever works with you is really, really going to benefit from that. So thanks so much for sharing your story today. Fortunately, I have 
held back the tears. They've come. I can feel the nose is about to drip. I think I've been holding it back because it's all just so emotional. And, you know, if, if you're listening and thinking the same, it, it yeah, just take something from this. That's what I would ask of you is, you know, what is is resonated with you that you can think about making part of your life and, and you know, being stronger for whatever comes your way and to support those that you care about in your life whenever they need it so yeah thank you Kat I've really enjoyed it thank you so much Nicola and for all the lovely things you've said like I'll say to anyone when you recognize that in me it's because it's in you as well Mm -hmm. and there's an Irish saying which in a very roundabout way is um, a, a hedgehog knows another hedgehog. I know it sounds really odd, but in other words, somebody with the qualities in themselves will recognise those in somebody else. So, you know, what you're doing is so wonderful and so inspirational as well. And I'm really grateful for you creating this space, you know, for, for women to prioritise their health. Oh, thanks, Kat. And I've never heard that saying before. So I love that. Yeah, hedgehog <laughs> hedgehog. Yeah. Oh. Brilliant. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. If you've enjoyed our podcast, please remember to hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. It would be really appreciated if you could leave a rating and review so other people can find us and build their own healthy, happy life. You can follow Life Now Coaching on all social media platforms and visit our website at lifenow.uk. Links are in the show description. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation and can't wait to see you again next week for more tips on living healthy and happy right now. Take care.